Amen. What a good thing it is for us to remember, um, be reminded of the faithfulness of God, um, that unending faithfulness that he has for us. Uh, it's great to see all of you, to be able to worship together. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church and uh, so thankful to be able to see you. And um, I look around the room, I look out and I see many of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet. Just uh, know I'd love an opportunity. We'd love an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. And so um, I'll be down front at the end of our time together this morning and um, would love to just just greet you and say hello. Love to pray for you. Our elders and a few uh, ladies from our ladies ministry will also be down front. Um, we come down front. We invite you to come just so we can encourage you in any way. And so good to see you. As I think about the faithfulness of God, um, I, uh, I couldn't help but this morning as I walked up to this cool morning and uh, think about uh, his faithfulness, um, really, especially through the gift of that parking team and our greeters who they survived the summer months. And uh, they got to wear jackets to serve this morning or hoodies. And that's a, that's a real gift from the Lord that they got to do that. We, we used to, when we uh, would set up in the gym, uh, we, would, we would celebrate sort of the end of the summer because we, we didn't have to unload and load that truck in the heat of 100-degree weather. And so now I just thought, man, we need to remember how faithful those uh, guys are, that team is, to serve and uh, welcome us. So be sure and thank them. Congratulate them for making it through the summer uh, to the fall in this glorious weather. Um, we are in a study in the book of Acts. If you are a guest with us. <clears throat> I just want to, uh, one again, welcome you, let you know that you can, uh, there's a, we have a gift for you at our, our, our welcome table, um, which is out in the cafe and would love to connect with you there as well. Um, but if you're a guest, we're making our way through the book of Acts, a study in the book of Acts is our practice just to sort of work our way through books of the Bible here. Uh, we finished off in Acts chapter 13, verse 12. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 13 this morning and uh, Lord willing, make it through the end of this uh, chapter. And then next week we'll pick up in Acts 14 verse 1. And so that's how we work here. And uh, it, 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 it's just a great opportunity for us to meditate and to feed on God's word, to feast on the word of God together. <clears throat> and so I uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can find an app probably. And let me encourage you next week, bring your Bible with you and uh, open it up so we can study together. As you look to your Bibles, you will see that this is a large section of text that I'm going to cover from 13 through the end of Acts chapter 13, which is verse 52. And I know you're saying to yourself, you're a little nervous about that um, and anxious, but we are going to go a little bit fast and we're going to make our way through again, Lord willing, through this. When we left off, Paul and Barnabas had been set apart in a few chapters earlier, set apart, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, uh, for the work that I have for them to do. They were a part of, they had been gathering with the church in Antioch, this great church, the first place where the church was referred to as Christians. You've heard me talk about that over the last month or so. And these Christians, this Christian community that gathered in Antioch, they were um, uh, just making disciples and proclaiming the word of God and, and it was going forth and it was just a beautiful expression of God's church there in Antioch. And so the Holy Spirit tells them, set apart part for me, Paul and Barnabas for a work that I have, and so he sent them out. And last week, as we looked in sort of the middle section of Acts 13... They went to an island of uh, Cyprus, which is to the west of Jerusalem. They sailed across the sea and landed on Cyprus, sort of made their way, set, uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel all across this island. And as we pick up here in verse 13, we're going to find Paul and Barnabas at a new Antioch, not the Antioch uh, that they were sent out from, but Antioch in Pisidia, which is in the north. And so they are going to sail again across the sea, make their way to a new area, and they're taking the gospel. This is the first missionary journey of Paul. 
Um, it will record, we'll see as we read here in just a moment that Paul and Barnabas go. John, uh, John Mark goes back to Jerusalem and uh, separates from them. Uh, but we see this journey, and in every way where they go, they proclaim the gospel. They teach about who Jesus is. And so as we look at this text, as we come to Acts 13, 13 and following, this is the first recorded sermon of Paul in the New Testament, the, the, the first sort of extensive sermon. He's obviously spoken a few times before, but in terms of an extensive message, this is the first time we see this. One of the other really neat things about Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, that he gives us is as he records what happens when they arrive here at Antioch and Pisidia and also in another place um, in his gospel, we get to see what worship was like in the New Testament. In this early church, right after Jesus has ascended, what did the worshipers do? And we'll see as we read here in a moment that they read the scriptures, they read from the prophets, and excuse me, they read first from the law, and then they would read from the prophets. They had two readings, and then after that, someone would be invited to come forward and expound upon those readings and to speak about those readings. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, but that is essentially what we still do today as we gather in worship. And we read God's word, we feast on God's word, and then someone is, uh, comes forward to explain and help us to apply God's word to our lives. Well, that is exactly what happens here in Acts 13 and 13 and following. If you're able, I'm going to read for us just a very short snippet, the introduction of this text, Acts chapter 13, 13 through 16. So out of reverence for God's word, would you stand for me as I read God's word to us? Now, Paul... And his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we gather together because we want to hear from you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear. You would allow our hearts to listen to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that these people, your people gathered in this place would hear from you, not from a man. May you increase in this place as I decrease. Help us to be attentive to who you are, what you are proclaiming to us. We thank you for who you are, Jesus. And as we read further in your word, let us be in awe of who you are and what you have done, the promises that you have fulfilled to us, the life that we can find in that promise. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> As I said, I read a very short section of this text, and we have a long way to go to make it all the way to verse 52, but I paused there because I didn't want to have you stand for seven minutes as I read the entirety of this message. But what, I also paused there because the focus there at the end of that verse or the end of that passage, that little section that I read was Paul gathers the people to himself. He's invited to come before the people in the synagogue and these are gathered together are both Jews and those who are referenced as God fears. These are people who some perhaps had converted to Judaism, not born as a Jew by nationality, but converted to Judaism. And then others who simply feared God, revered God, the God that the Israelites worshiped, they 
recognize that is the one true God. And so he calls, we have these sort of three groups of people, mostly Jewish people, secondarily some proselytes, those who converted to Judaism, and then more than likely a smaller group of people who just were God-fearers who believe this. And so he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And he waves them, he sort of calls them to, to come to, to listen to what he has to say. And as he continues, as he begins this sermon, he starts at the very beginning of the promises that were made by God. We could, I titled this sermon, Promises Made and Promises Kept. And this promise that was made is traced by Paul all the way back to the Old Testament. And he begins with the people that were called by the name of Abraham. The God, he says in verse 17, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. A promise made. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but no, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, Jews he's speaking to here, and those among you who fear God, those who worship our same God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, this promise made by God. Many believe that perhaps as this gathering of people were coming together in the synagogue, that Samuel might have been one of the readings that was uh, given here. And, and, And as Paul comes to preach a word on this text, he traces back. And so he goes back through the, the entire history of the Jewish people. And he says that God has made a promise to us. He has made a promise of salvation to us. And this promise of salvation, he points to Jesus. Verse 23, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. This promise made to God, to his people, he traces all the way back through the scriptures. One of the things that we so often do is we divide our Bibles. We have our Old Testament. We have our New Testament. We sort of take those things. We divide them in half. And sometimes we study the Old Testament. Sometimes we look at the New Testament. And we think of them as, too often, we think of them as separate stories. Some of you may have even been raised in a tradition that taught you that. Let me just tell you, the entirety of this book, everything found in this book, is God's story of redeeming a people to himself, beginning In Genesis, all the way through Revelation, the entirety of the story is about God redeeming a people. 
and calling them to himself. And so what Paul does as he begins to preach is he takes what they would have known, the Old Testament. They would have known these passages very, very well. Samuel, if that was read, some of the Psalms that perhaps were read, anything that was read to them, they would have known their Bible and they would have understood what he was saying to them. And they probably would have been nodding along. He's talking to them about Saul and talking about, about David and all those things. They're probably, oh yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. I love it when you guys, y'all kind of nod along with me sometimes. Sometimes you fall asleep, other, uh, you know, but I, I, the, the nodding along helps me. It's an encouragement. So they're probably nodding along, but here's what I can tell you. When he came to verse 23 and he says that all of these texts, everything that we know about this story is a connection to the promise that God made to redeem a people and was pointing to Jesus. There's at least a few of them that were like, whoop, what do you say there? I'm not sure about that. I don't know about that. That confuses me. But what Paul does is he recounts historically, all the things that God did to redeem these people. The first message of the gospel is found in Genesis 3.15, where God promises Adam and Eve right after the fall into sin, he promises them a redeemer, a deliverer, one who would crush the serpent's head. And that promise is traced throughout history, and God throughout the Old Testament is unfolding this promise that he made. And Paul is saying to these people that are gathered now in this synagogue as here in Antioch of Pisidia, he's saying, everything that you know about God, every story that you've ever read about God, every Bible verse that you've memorized about God, the entirety of it was pointing to this Jesus, this Messiah, this one that is the fulfillment of all those promises. He wants them to know that God made a promise And that promise was fulfilled in Jesus of this man's offspring. That's David, by the way, that he's speaking to. David, which was very highly and rightly revered by the people of Israel. He says, of that man, David, his offspring is Jesus. Paul is recounting the promise made to David in Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons, this is God speaking to David, one of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. He's saying to him, there is going to be one who comes after you, David, that will sit on your throne forever and will rule and be king. God made a promise to redeem a people. And all of history points to those promises, that promise being made and God working that out through history. And we see that in the law and in the prophets. Well, that promise was made, Paul says, and then he explains how the promise was fulfilled in 27 through 35. I read the very end of that, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent this message of salvation. There's a message that has been sent to us. That promise made is a message of salvation that we can find in Jesus. Well, that promise was fulfilled in him. If we skip ahead and we scroll, he talks about the history of this and how uh, John obviously uh, pointed to him. And in verse 32, he says, and we bring you, this is Paul speaking, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, the promise that we've read about over and over and over again, and many of us, again, have studied about, again, Paul speaking to that gathered people in the synagogue, that promise to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, by raising Jesus. See, these people had heard of the promise of God, They knew it through the law and the prophets, 
but they had missed Jesus. They believed in the promise of a Messiah. They missed that Jesus was the fulfillment of those promises. This is why Paul says in verse 27, for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And although they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we again bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. This is the promise fulfilled. And the interesting thing is, is he explains to them how they missed it. He says, all of the law and all of the prophets, everything that has been read to you every Sabbath, Every Sabbath, they would gather together. They would have a reading from the law. They'd have a reading from the prophets. There would be someone who would stand up, who would expound to them all of what this meant and help them apply that to their lives. Over and over again, they heard this. And all throughout history, that has happened with God's people. And every time, although they proclaimed it, it says they missed it. But here's the amazing thing. This is just, I love the way Luke writes this. He says, because they did not recognize him, this is verse 27, because they did not recognize him, nor understood the utterance of the prophets, which they were read every Sabbath, they fulfilled them by condemning him. The very things that they heard read that were proclaimed to them over and over and over and over again, they fulfilled exactly what the scriptures said of this Messiah, said of Jesus when they condemned him in fulfillment of what they had read. They missed it, they didn't understand who the Messiah was, and so they condemned him because they were missing the promise that was made and the promise fulfilled to them in Christ. But God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God. Jesus was the Messiah. He is exactly who he said he was. He's the one that all of the law and the prophets point to, And although they knew their word, they knew that, they missed him, he says. And Paul, he's exhorting the people in this day as he speaks to them in Antioch and Pisidia, he's exhorting them to say, don't miss what God has done. Don't miss that God made a promise to us of who Jesus was and that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. I would say the same thing to you this morning. This Jesus that is proclaimed to us through the scriptures that we've seen as we've studied, if you've only been around for the book of Acts as coming together with us in worship, as we've studied that over and over and over again, we've seen Jesus at work doing what he said he would do, which was to build up his church and to send his disciples out to testify to the work of Christ. If this is the first time you've ever gathered with our church, you're hearing it proclaimed to you, the Jesus of the Bible that is talked about over and over and over again, the promise that God made through him is for you. Don't miss that Jesus. Don't look at this as some religious exercise. Don't think of your life and your relationship with God as something that is distant from you. He says that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God has ever made. See him. Know him. Know that that Jesus is real. And you can put your life in his hands. You can trust him. Well, this is what Paul gets to as... Most 
sermons, most messages, most preachers do. We expound on the text, and then we come to a point of applying this. And in verse 38, as we look at this sermon, we see Paul applying what he has just said. God made a promise to us people. Every single one of us has seen that promise. We can now look back retrospectively and see how all the promises that God made pointed to Jesus. We can see that Jesus was the promised Messiah in perfect fulfillment of all the prophecies that we've ever known or read. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. What does that mean for us? Look at what he says in verse 38. And this is the central theme of this entire message. This is all that Paul really wants his people to know. It says that David was the one who pointed to Jesus. God raised him from the dead and it says in verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's Jesus, Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed, and everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Let me read that one more time. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. What Paul says to them, he says to them something that was not so new, and then he gives them something that is pretty radical. The first thing that he says to them is that there is forgiveness of sins. And that idea that people could receive forgiveness of their sins from God was not something that was a new theology or a new idea. There was existing within them this idea that forgiveness could be made. There had to be atonement, and they had lived in that practice and sort of been raised in that. But what he says to them here is that the forgiveness of those sins comes to them through this man, through Jesus. But here's the radical thing. Yes, it's amazing that we can be forgiven of our sins. That should cause us all to just be amazed that God would ever forgive any of our sins, knowing the depravity of our sins, knowing how deep that sin issues usually take root in our hearts, knowing how often we have to wage war against those sin issues to ever see them put to death or put away in our hearts. We realize that if you have any self-awareness, you know how sinful your own heart is and that the fact that God would forgive that is an amazing truth. But here's the more amazing truth, 39. And by him, not only can you be forgiven of your sins, that's amazing and it's true. Not only that, though, by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That word freed could also be translated as justified. What Paul is saying to these people is that not only are they forgiven of their sins, but they are declared righteous by God through Christ. All of you should have just passed out in awe of that statement. You should, you should not be able to stand in a moment when you consider that. Not only can you be forgiven of your sins through Christ, but you are declared righteous. He who knew no sin, was made sin for us so that in him we might be declared the righteousness of God. The righteous, that means, friends, that God looks at you when you've put your faith in Christ. He looks at you and he sees you in the same way that he sees his son. He looks at you and he sees you just as he sees Jesus. 
You can't get over that. That is something that is amazing. This should cause awe to break out in our hearts and cause us to just leap in worship. We are freed. And Paul says, you're freed from that which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Again, speaking primarily to Jewish people here who believe that their justification, their right standing before God, their acceptance by God into his family was based on their ability to keep the law. Now, some of you are saying to yourself, well, I'm glad I don't have that problem. I'm not Jewish. Well, you just lied to yourself because you do. All of us are plagued by the same condition that we say to ourselves, I will be accepted by God if I just do this. If I can do this, God will love me. Some of you came to worship this morning, believing and hoping that if you gathered with the church, if you came to this place, that God might accept you. And let me tell you that it is a joy. It is right that we gather to worship. The reason, though, that we gather is not so that we might find God accepting of us. It's because we have been set free. We have been declared righteous by God through Christ. And we can do nothing else but gather and worship and give him glory that he deserves and remind ourselves of who Jesus is and what he's done for us because we so easily and quickly forget that that is true by tomorrow by by, I tell you this every Sunday probably by two o'clock I'll be asleep but the rest of you at two o'clock this afternoon you're going to be saying to yourselves you know I I don't know if God loves me I don't know if I could be the way I just spoke to my neighbor the way I had that conversation with my child my wife this frustration whatever comes up in your life and you're going to ask yourself could God really love me and so we gather together to be reminded of the righteousness of God that has been given to us through Christ, the freedom that we have received. Freedom. It doesn't have to be a struggle. The righteousness that is given to us is given to us fully by Christ, friends. And so many of us spend our lives toiling away, trying to white-knuckle it through life and just let me hold on and get to the end some way, Just somehow, let me hold on, God. And God says, I've come to set you free in Christ. Paul expounds on this, this one little line, this theological statement, which is profound, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He expounds on this in the book of Galatians. I'd invite you this week, go spend some time studying the book of Galatians. It's not a long book. And you can read about through Paul's words as he expounds upon this further for the church in Galatia. This promise, the life that is found, justification is profound. And he tells the people, I want you to know that the promise that was made to us was fulfilled in Christ. And through Christ, we have been set free from everything. And the law could never do that. You don't have to keep trying to appease God. You simply put your faith in the finished work of Christ. You trust him. You believe what Jesus said that he says, quoted for us. Repent and believe that the kingdom is at hand. And it's not just near. Repent and believe that the kingdom is handed and you are welcomed into it. It's not just out there that you have to grab like your phone. It is you are a part of the kingdom. You are welcomed in, declared righteous by God. And God no longer sees you in your sinful filth. He sees you as he sees his one and only son. That is glorious, good, good news, friends. And that's what we remember 
as we come to the table for a communion. I don't have time. This, before you get to Galatians, read the rest of this chapter this afternoon. Go through 52. And as you read this, let me just summarize what's going to happen. The Jewish people are going to be so amazed, or all the people, I should say, they're going to be so in awe of what Paul has proclaimed to them, this justification that God could love them so much, could set them free, could forgive them of their sins, that also set them free from their sinfulness and welcome them in to the kingdom of God. They're going to be so amazed at that. They're going to beg Paul and Barnabas, hey, will you come back next Sunday and tell us more? They never heard a message like this before. They're, Please come and te- teach us more. Tell us more about this Jesus. And so they go their separate ways and the crowds and all the people begin to rumor and talk about all that they heard on that Sabbath day. And they come back together. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, those same similar hearts and minds to those who put Jesus on the cross who rejected the Messiah, there were some that once again missed Jesus and they confronted that promise. They said, there's no way that could be true because they wanted control. They wanted to maintain their authority. But the Gentiles, so Paul and Barnabas, they say to themselves, these Jewish people, they don't want to hear this message, so we'll take our message to the Gentiles. They dusted their sandals and the Gentile people were amazed and in awe and they worshiped God. Part of the reason that the Jewish people rejected it is because they couldn't believe that God was big enough to welcome both Jew and Gentile into the same family. And the Gentile people were also so amazed, so in all, their response was what is proper and their response should be our response every single moment of every single day of our lives, every time we think about and consider what God has done. And when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. The word of God was going out and being proclaimed. And there was great joy amongst the people that they were being welcomed in. And so from this time forward, while Paul would continue to go to the synagogue and plead with his Jewish brothers and sisters to come to faith and to know who the Messiah was, his ministry would primarily be given to the Gentiles to go and welcome in those who God has grafted in. And this is who many of us are. And so we get to receive this morning from the Lord's table. And as we come to receive from the Lord's table, it's a table of remembrance. What we remember is the promise made by God that was fulfilled by God through Christ. We remember the righteousness that has been imputed to us, been given to us, declared to us by Christ and through Christ. And so I want to invite you as we come in just a few moments to receive from the Lord's table, remember what Christ has done. Remember the promise that God made to you. Remember that the promise that God made was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that that promise, Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And that promise leads us to confront every idol and every other thing that we might put in front of God that says, He'll justify me. He'll accept me because of this or that. And when we come to the table, we're able to remember. It's a calling to remember that our standing before God is a precious and a beautiful standing because God sees us through the blood of Christ. But it is purchased by Christ alone. It's not contingent upon what we have done. It's fully based on what he has done. It's not about what we could do for him. It's about what he has done. We say this in both places where we, have, we practice the two ordinances that are given to the church. The first is baptism. 
where we celebrate baptism and through baptism as we did just a few weeks ago. This is our declaration to the church community. You heard 12 different people, at least four in each service. You heard at least four of them raise their hands and say, I have put my faith in Christ alone. And they're declaring to all of us that they're Christians. And so when we come to the table, we come to the table and we are reminded that we also, we're still Christians through Christ. So as we come here in just a moment, I don't want to invite you to remember what Christ has done for you. I want you to be in awe, perhaps, maybe more than you ever have before in this moment. Be in awe. We're going to sing these words, how marvelous. Marvel at the fact that you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. You have been set free from everything. Even that which the law could not set you free from. There's no possibility that you could be set free from. Through Christ, you've been set free. That's a beautiful reality. Just a little bit of instructions for you. First, the table is reserved for those who have put their faith in Christ. God's word instructs us this isn't something that city church requires. This is God's word requires that this is a table of remembrance which means when we come to the table, we come remembering what Christ has done for us. You don't have to be a member of this church to come to the table. Anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior can come to the table. If you're unsure about who Jesus is, you heard about the promise that was made, and you are thinking that maybe Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, but you're not sure yet, I just want to invite you to remain seated and just take this time. If you've never prayed before, take this time and say to God, I want to hear from you. I want to know, could that really be true? Is what that preacher said really true? I'm trusting and believing that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. And I pray it would lead you to believe that so that you could run up to the table and say, I do believe today. And I want to acknowledge Jesus' broken body and shed blood for me. We'll receive communion. Our elders will be serving the table. The wings, those of you on the outside, if you'll come first, just as the Lord leads, as the Spirit leads, there's no really order. You can just come forward, make your way to the table, go back through the center aisle to your seats. And once the outside sections have received the elements, then these center two sections, you guys, again, will exit out to the outsides of your aisles and then come through to the center. Um, We have... Uh, bread here that the elders will serve. If you uh, need a gluten-free option, we also have that here at the center of the table, so you can just pass by uh, the elder and come straight to the center of the table to receive uh, a gluten-free option. And then return to your seats, and we'll receive um, and take um, the elements together as a family. Let us pray. Let's remember what Christ has done. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the promise that was made to us of your coming, of your work on the cross. You laid down your life in perfect fulfillment of all of God's word to redeem us as a people to yourself. That's what you did. We thank you for that promise that was made. We thank you that you were the fulfillment of that promise. We thank you that you were raised from the dead. Yes, your body was broken, your blood was spilled for us to justify us, that we might be declared righteous before God. But we thank you that you rose from the dead and you will give us sure victory from sin and death. So as we come now, we come remembering what you have done for us and we worship you in awe. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, you say.